0: You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Around um, a month ago, I began praying about where God would have us in our next study as we were wrapping up our series, and I really didn't have Ephesians on my heart. I had a, I had a couple of other series in my mind that I wanted to go to, and I feel like the Holy Spirit led me to this book. And uh, most of you, you know, it's not a real highlighted book. Some of you know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of good works, lest any man should boast. Uh, some of you know Ephesians three twenty. Through 22, you know, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. But other than that, you don't know a lot about, a lot of us don't know a lot about Ephesians. But the whole book is beautiful the whole way through. To me, it, it reads different than all of, other, of Paul's other letters. It's almost like a psalm in the New Testament. And uh, Bible scholars have said some wonderful things about this book. William Barclay calls Ephesians the queen of the epistles. Epistles are obviously the letters that Paul wrote. The English poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge termed this book the divinest composition of man, Because as he believed it embraces first those doctrines peculiar to Christianity and then those precepts common with it in natural religion. And really, there's six chapters in Ephesians, and the first three kind of focus on theology, and the second kind of focus more on the pra- practical application of that. Uh, he says uh, this, this letter is, uh, a guy named John Mackey, a former president of Princeton uh, Theological Seminary, who was converted at the age of 14 by reading the book of Ephesians, called it the greatest, maturest, for our time, the most relevant of all Paul's writings. He says this letter is pure music. Ruth Paxson uh, called Ephesians the grand canyon of scripture, meaning that it's breathtakingly beautiful and apparently inexhaustible to the one who wants to take it in. C.H. Dodd said it represented the crown of Paulinism. One writer said that it's the distilled essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate compendium of our holy Christian faith. Some have described it as a heavenly panoramic view of salvation. So a lot of accolades go to this book of Ephesians. But for me, the one that's most important is in the opening verse. And it's these two words, in Christ we'll read this in just a moment in Christ and so that's why I've entitled this series a new identity Uh, we could call it a a new location or our position in Christ but your ID always includes your location your address I have a Tennessee driver's license and my name's on there my IDs on there but my location my address is as well Uh, whether it's a hunting license or whatever it is even when you pay uh, credit cards or debit cards out of state or you know when you're traveling you gotta sometimes put your zip code in right Uh, But the the reason I see Ephesians as a book about identity is because in all of Paul's letters he uses the phrase in Christ. Matter of fact, he uses it 165 times, uh, and uh, approximately, and and of those. 165 times those are spread over 13 books 14 if you believe he wrote the book of hebrews but around 36 of those are found in the book of ephesians and i think it highlights who we are as believers in christ that's probably why macarthur says ephesians has been given such titles as the believer's bank the christian's checkbook the treasure house of the bible this beautiful letter tells Christians of their great riches, inheritances, and fullness in Jesus Christ and in his church. It tells them what they possess and how they can claim and enjoy their possessions. And church, everyone in here knows you can't claim your inheritance unless you've got proper identification. And so my goal for us as a church family, as we read and study through this uh, book together, is that, uh, that we would identify ourselves more clearly who we are in Christ. I think it's one of the biggest failures in the church and in Christian life. We, we, we lose all forward momentum because we've lost our identity in Him. Uh, when we meet someone on a plane or, or in a checkout line or you know at a concert, wherever we're at, Uh, we don't share as much about ourselves because the time is limited, right? And so really your friendships are based on how much you've, you could literally say your friendships are based on really how much another person knows about you. And my prayer is that our friendship, we'll develop a friendship, a relationship with Ephesians so that we'll be able to identify ourselves a little more clearly. And so I want to jump into Ephesians chapter one, verse one. We're only going to read one verse this morning french fries you know are made to be scarfed on the way home right but a good juicy 50 dollars steak you got to sit down for that and cut it up into little pieces and savor it one pastor said rich spiritual food needs to be served slowly and in small portions so we're we're going to eat small portion this morning so let's stand i think y'all can stand for one verse ephesians chapter one verse one these are the holy words of god Ephesians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say faithful to Christ Jesus. It says faithful in him. I want to ask Patty Badgett to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Patty. Let's pray. Dear Father, I ask that you bring all of us to a mindset and a willingness and an understanding of what God has placed on Went's heart today to bring us. And I hope I hope that uh, you carry us home safely and be with us always. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Now, to set this book up, uh, we need to get a picture of the city of Ephesus. And I'm going to tell you why the city of Ephesus is important. Then I'm going to tell you why it's not important. <laughs> It is important, but it's, it's not the only focus of this letter. It was an incredibly uh, important city in the, in the Roman province of Asia. It was about 40 miles from Smyrna and there was a, uh, a Latin writer named Pliny who called the city of Ephesus the light of Asia. Uh, it housed one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. Uh, of course, today it's just a little village in Turkey, but it's an important place in church history. It's where the Apostle John uh, spent time and completed some of his writing. You remember the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John were probably written, I believe, they were written from Ephesus. And uh, of course, John is also the author of the book of Revelation. And in the first three chapters of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, there are you know different letters to. Uh, Seven different churches in Asia Minor, uh, which Jesus himself dictated to John as he wrote it down. And you may remember one of those churches is none other than Ephesus. And Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is really an incredibly pleasant letter. You can literally read through the whole book and I would challenge y'all to do that this several times as we go through the series. You can read through it in 20 minutes. Uh, it's free of any major controversies. It's it's not a book of rebuke, but it's a book of refreshment. The whole mood uh, of the book is is encouraging. It's an affirming Uh, letter. Someone said Ephesians is like a child with a calm temper, but as wise as a a good grandfather who has delightful insights and assuring words. So I think we're going to have fun going through this. But if we can just pause for a minute and kind of take ourselves back in time, some of y'all have seen The Chosen, some of y'all have seen uh, movies that make you recount biblical days and the way things were before printing presses and before cars and, and roads, you know, normal roads. And we can just imagine that the church was exploding around this time. Uh, Ephesus itself was believed to have 300,000 people. And by the way, historians estimate that the world, the whole world's population at that time was between 190 million and 256 million. So say it's 200 million people, then that would be like the equivalent of the city of Ephesus having 12 million in population today. All right. And so it was a huge city. Their Temple of Diana was four times bigger than the Parthenon of Athens. It was 425 feet by 220 feet. And just to give you some perspective on that, the dimensions, if you compare it to the dimensions of an American football field, like the one where the Kansas City Chiefs uh, beat San Francisco (laughs) last Sunday, the dimensions of the football field where kicker Harrison Butker broke two records for the longest field goal and combined for the most field goals ever in a Super Bowl. Uh, the same field where Patrick Mahomes threw for 333 yards, two touchdowns, and, um, and broke a, a, a record for the most career rushing yards in a Super Bowl in history to win his third MVP trophy in overtime, in dramatic fashion. The same field where Andy Reid won a Super Bowl in his 25th season, breaking a tie with Bill Belichick to become the longest-tenured head coach in, uh, to win a Super Bowl in NFL history. That same field. Coach <laughs> Chiefs. That same field uh, is 300 feet by 160. So you can just get, an, uh, you can imagine how big this, this temple was. It was a rival city to Rome. It was a melting pot of Jews and Gentiles. It was a place that was extremely diverse economically uh, and ethnically. And you're asking right now, well, why does all that matter? Well, because the first uh, suitcase I want us to unpack on our road to Ephesians is, is the why. Why would Paul write such a different styled letter to launch from such a different uh, such a unique place. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. The book of Ephesians, and this is what I, my main point this morning, is the book of Ephesians was geared for growth. It was literally written with growth in mind. You mechanically minded folks know that if you've got a, a, a drag racing car, the transmission in that car is different than a car that's going to run 500 miles at Daytona in a NASCAR race. Uh, for you non-mechanically minded people, you've seen the cogs on a 10 speed. There's little ones and there's bigger ones. And you have to be able to shift through those gears. If you're going up a hill, you need that little gear and lots of pedaling. And if you're going downhill, you need the bigger gears to pick up speed. And so it's the same with Ephesus. It was... It was a transmission to be transmitted. The transmission in Ephesus was built for increase. It was built for church expansion. That's the reason it's written the way it is. Uh, and I'm going to give you some reasons for that this morning. First, the early manuscripts in, of Ephesians do not include the name Ephesus now i 'm not speaking heresy up here, uh, but they don 't the, the manuscripts don 't the earliest manuscripts don 't even have the name ephesus in them and i 'm not trying to turn this message into some doctoral study of of textual manuscripts and papyrus uh, from two thousand years ago but i 'm trying to help us see how this letter came to us came to be called ephesians it 's most likely that Paul sent this letter with a guy named Tychicus that we won 't even talk about until over in chapter six. Uh, but he's the one, uh, he's the only person mentioned here. And so maybe Paul or Tychicus, uh, maybe a local pastor, local leaders were writing the names of the cities or towns where the letter was being distributed at the time. James Boyce writes that the words in Ephesus are absent from three of the oldest Greek manuscripts, the Vatican, the Sinaitic Unseals, and the Chester Beatty Papyrus, which predates them. All right. These are all groups of manuscripts where we get our Bible today. So W.A. Criswell believed that Tychicus simply wrote in at Ephesus, at Laodicea, at Hierapolis, whatever the cities were, they wrote it in uh, for that place. And there's biblical evidence of this in the Bible, in Colossians chapter four, verse 16, where it says, And when this letter, speaking of Colossians, has been read among you... um, Have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Where's the letter from Laodicea? And some people believe it's this book. Boyce uh, says, in the second century, Marcion referred to Ephesians as the letter of Paul to the Laodiceans, thereby suggesting that his copy contains the words Laodicea instead of Ephesus. Now, there's a practical reason I'm sharing all these fun facts, so just hang with me. Uh, it doesn't discount the truthfulness of the letter. It actually speaks of the veracity of the scriptures. Uh, but it, it, it demonstrates to me, for our purposes this morning, that Paul's purpose of, was for this letter to be distributed. And I think that way about all the scriptures, right? They're, they're, meant, they're applicable for today. But in particular, uh, Ephesians. So first, Ephesians was geared for growth because Ephesus is not the only target. Other churches are in view uh, as well. The early manuscripts prove this. Secondly, there are no personal references, though the letter is very personal. If we don't understand that Ephesians was written and geared for growth, that it was a transmission for transmitting, then it's going to make no sense to us that Paul... Who went to Ephesus and stayed there longer than he did at any other place in the New Testament? All right? So why would he stay there so long and not mention a name? Well, if you understand why he wrote the letter, that it was to be disseminated to other churches, then that makes sense. Otherwise, it, sound, it seems like Paul's cold. And we know he knew people there. If you look at 1 Corinthians, I'll just give you some examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul mentions Sosthenes, Chloe, Crispus, Gaius, and the household of Stephanas. And that's not, I, that's just one chapter. Uh, in Philippians, he mentions Timothy, Euodius, Syntyche, Epaphroditus, and the saints of, uh, of Caesar's household. In Colossians, he mentions Timothy, Epaphras, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Demas, uh, Archippus, and others. And then, of course, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Those are books written to individual people, so that's pretty personal, all right? But in the book of, and by the way, Romans 16, just that one chapter contains 35 individual names, men and women, Jews and Greeks, all right? Uh, so the book of, Ephesians doesn't have one local national name in it than in the other than the closing remarks and that he wasn't a national of Ephesus as far as we know. Tychicus served with Paul and was probably the one that brought this letter with other copies to Ephesus, right? But not one personal reference of local believers. Why? Because the purpose of the letter was for it to be sent out in a time when the church was exploding with growth and this letter needed to be circulated all around those other regions. So personal references to Ephesians would have meant nothing. And Paul certainly had them to give, but they would have meant nothing to the believers at Laodicea and other places. And so that's why I didn't use them, right? To me, this makes this book all the more interesting because It was written in an environment when the church was exploding, and it was sent out in that time of growth. And I'm going to tell you, we are living in that time now. You don't see it because the news doesn't report it, but I assure you with all my heart, the church is growing now more than it ever has in the history of world civilization. Uh, Christianity in Africa has doubled in the last 20 years. In China it's increased a hundredfold in the last four decades. Statistics say that Christianity in Africa, Asia, Latin America grew from 94 million in 1900 to 1.4 billion in 2010. And that number is likely to hit 2.3 billion by 2050. Just our Southern Baptists that we're affiliated with doctrinally, um, they've planted over 10,000 churches in America since 2010. And I've worked with nationals, just one international that I worked with in India had been involved in a network of 50,000 house churches. All right, uh, y- y'all know, I've told the story before, but when Castro shut down Cuba and said no more churches can meet, a uh, house church movement sprang up, 50,000 house churches. So that when I was serving in India, Vicki and I were overseas, we were getting requests, the, the International Mission Board were getting requests for Cubans to come. They're like, we want to send missionaries to you. So they've already evangelized Cuba, and so they're wanting to send their own missionaries out to other nations. I'm telling you, the world is exploding. Just the Southern Baptist Convention has 47,000 churches in it, in in America. Sounds big. We're one of the biggest evangelical conventions in the world, wow. Did you know China, 10 years ago, had four conventions larger than than the Southern Baptist Convention, underground churches? One, we we send out, we're the largest mission sending agency in the world, you know, monetarily. And we send out, you know, roughly 3,500 to 4,500 missionaries around the world. Did you know that one of those four huge conventions in China has a vision to send 100,000 missionaries into just the Middle East? What I'm saying is you don't see it. You don't see people being tortured. You don't see it on the local news, but the church of God is exploding. And I want our church to be part of that. All right. We do support church plants internationally and nationally with Ben Hiley and over in Fraser. And uh, I want us to be a church that instigates more families of faith in new areas. And we pray those churches would grow, just like we mentioned in the baby dedication, that that, uh, just like we have children and our children have children, we want our churches to bear birth to new churches. Otherwise, we'll never keep up. As a matter of fact, uh, our next regular uh, scheduled business meeting is on a Wednesday night, March the sixth. We have it, we have Wednesday night prayer meeting this, sun, this Wednesday as well. But on that particular night, March the sixth, put it on your calendars, especially you local church members. At six thirty, we're going to be discussing growing pains in our church and uh, what God would have. And we're going to pray for what God would have. If you think about all the counties that are nearest, you have Tipton County to the north, you have Haywood and Madison uh, to the northeast, you have Fayette and Hardeman and Chester uh, and McNary counties to the east. And if you drop down below the Mississippi line, and I know we've got some Mississippi folks in here, you got Fayette and I mean uh, uh, Desoto, uh, Marshall, Benton counties. Keep going, you got Tippah and Alcorn. Get way on over there. You need Tishamingo. There's there's none of those places, none of the counties around us have the, the number of healthy churches needed to properly disciple and minister to those areas. Doesn't mean there aren't healthy churches out there. It means there's not enough. And, and what I want us to understand today is that In our study of the Book of Ephesians, Paul knew two thousand years ago we've got it. This this group of people needs a boost in the arm. The way I'm going to write this letter is to help minister to all these growing churches, and I want us to be geared just like the Ephesians. I want us to be geared for growth. And one of the indicators of that was his lack of uh, individual names mentioned. Another indicator, number three: there are no personal rebukes or corrections. In the book of Ephesians. Now when I say no personal rebukes you'll say well yeah there's no name so there's no personal rebukes, no. I mean there's no rebuke to the church at Ephesus. Now Ephesus does get rebuked by John, by Jesus, via Jesus <laughs> uh, or Jesus via John in Revelation. It says uh, Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 Jesus is speaking to Ephesus via John in this letter. And he commends them for all these good things. And he says, uh, but I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. You've left your first love. So the church at Ephesus does receive a buke, but not from Paul and not in the book of Ephesians. And I agree with a lot of other scholars that uh, the title Ephesians is likely because Ephesus was the first city uh, that, the letter was, that received the letter. And then it went out from there, I believe, as the kind of the delivery hub right? And we'll look at this in a passage of Scripture in Acts 19 toward the end of the service today. One commentator put it this way, this is because Ephesians is not the most situational of letters. Typically, when Paul wrote letters, he wrote to correct something. But in Ephesians, We encounter little of that. It's more reflective and less corrective. It was a circular letter distributed and read by the churches in the Asian minor region and therefore comes to us in a general form. Paul doesn't uh, name particular false teachers or mention specific problems in the church at Ephesus or include his travel plans as he does in other letters. As a result, Ephesians resonates with contemporary Christians because it seems Paul could have written the letter to a 21st century church. (laughs) And let me just add a little caveat here about Paul's lack of correction. There is a clear pattern of scripture that Jesus and his disciples, and certainly the apostle Paul, are never in the habit of rebuking people or correcting people they don't know. And this, I believe, has a lot to do. I think it's directly correlated to the size of a healthy church. Meaning, how many people should one healthy local church have? I talked to somebody this week. If, if a church, what if you're in a growing area and you just want, just more and more people want to come. And it just becomes a mega church. Well, when does a father tell his son, his child, <laughs> when does he tell him this is not good for you? Have you ever done that as a parent? Not let your, have, your kid have something that they wanted that you know would hurt them? But what happens what do we do in our major cities we we have 10,000 member churches and I'm not here to criticize all those I'm just saying that I've been a part of those I've been a part of uh, churches over a thousand I've attended them and I've I've been a member at them and I've been a pastor at them and I don't want to criticize them but I, I I know God has and it will still use them but I am speaking to what seems biblically ideal right in my understanding from scriptural patterns is that correction and training in righteousness as seen through 2 Timothy 3.16 are done most healthily through personal relationships. Part of the reason people leave church is for two big reasons. One, they either don't feel welcome at all, no one greets them, or other, uh, the second reason is because people that don't know them rebuke them for their sin <laughs> and confront them and don't even care about them, Right? And it, it's not a sin to correct someone, but the pattern of scripture is that correction is gonna take place in the crucible of a personal relationship. In the last two weeks, I had a man in this church come up to me, I was in a meeting with, this, with some folks and he, this guy dropped by to say hey to me anyway. And while he was in my office, he confronted me about something. He confronted me about something, it wasn't like a, an, an immoral sin, but it was something that was probably not done properly. And he was right. He brought it to my attention in a loving way. He just gently mentioned it in our casual conversation. And I received it. And I actually made a phone call that day. Sent a text and made a phone call to apologize to somebody because of the way I handled something in a meeting. And you know why I received that rebuke so well? Because I know he loves me and he loves this church and he serves this church. And I know he loves me unconditionally. So say what you want to say to me. If I know you love me, I can take it. Because I know you I know this guy doesn't think he's better than me. He's he's just as sinful as me and he and he has that countenance when he presents himself. So that's the way a church should be. And I you know, how big's too big for Piperton? I don't know. I I, I don't know. Is it four hundred, is it five hundred for this local body before we start to lose people in the crowd? I don't know, but I can tell you this. When we don't know each other well enough to correct each other in Christ, we're too big. All right? That's why I call the sermon Growing Pains. The style alone in which Paul wrote highlights the fact that this was meant to be given to many other churches in many other towns. Ephesians is a book. It's geared for growth because the early manuscripts don't include the name Ephesus. There are no personal letters, though the letter is personal, and there are no personal corrections or rebukes. Lastly, it's the logical next step in Paul's church planning strategy. You're like missionaries all around the world employ strategies from the way Paul did things. All right. Uh, if you remember, Paul's, Paul was, wouldn't go to a city and just share the gospel and leave. He would stay there and set up healthy churches, appoint elders, pastors, pastors. Uh, in in outlying towns, they would lay hands on people, and to you know to as a public symbol of them uh, affirming uh, a brother in ministry. And Paul had three different missionary journeys. I, we've got a picture of this up here. Um, you can you can see that all of his journeys launched from Antioch. I remember, Paul uh, kicked his third missionary journey off in uh, Ephesus. I can't. I don't know if you can see this. Can y'all see Ephesus up there? Y'all are—I probably should have zoomed in on that. But the point is, he goes out. There it is. Right—it's a port city, right there, kind of in the middle of the map. And you can see the, the his different journeys going out. The purple one's his first journey. He goes out short, comes back to Antioch. S- second one, the yellow one, he goes out a little further, comes back, and third one he goes out even further. And just so you know, I believe that Rome, the book of Romans was written, this red one, I believe he couldn't keep traveling. Remember, they didn't have flights and, you know, they had to go by, you know, <laughs> camels and, and walking and boats. And so I don't think he could afford to waste the rest of his years coming back to Antioch for a launching place. I think he wanted to set up a new launching place from Rome and then he was going to go down into Spain and he was going to just, and in Africa, I think he was going to hit all those places and employ his same missionary strategy. You know, but God had other purposes for him. He wanted other missionaries, the David Livingstons, to take the gospel to those places, right? So, I want us to, so around 54 AD, he kicks off this third missionary journey in Ephesus. And I want us to jump over to Acts 19, I'll wrap up with this. Acts 19, verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus, There he found some disciples. And of course the Holy Spirit was poured out and it was incredible. And then we've jumped to verse seven. There were about 12 men in all. And he, this is verse eight, Acts 19, verse eight. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So he went to the Christian places, you know, the more religious places uh, centers first, uh, verse nine. But when some some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, that's the Christian movement before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Well, how in the world could all the residents of Asia hear the word of the Lord? right cuz they were coming and going people were being sent out people would come into that major town they would hear the gospel and they would go back out to their towns so i believe paul saw what was coming he saw the initial growing pains of the church and he knew that unity and identity were going to be issues in the church and so he wanted to give this encouraging uh, i think of it like a b12 shot you know those sinus cocktail shots you get that kind of give you a jump on your sickness I feel like that's what Ephesians is. It's like a sinus cocktail for Christians, all right? And I know this, this kickoff today <laughs> has felt more like a history lesson uh, than a practical application, but I want us to see that the, the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians was written for growth in mind. And I want us to see that as we think about our own families. Are you geared for growth? Are you geared for doing more for Christ? Are you making margins? Are you doing things in your life strategically to set yourself up for growth? Or are you just settled in and happy as a tick on a hound dog, right? What are you doing to, to get yourself ready for growth? I believe Ephesians is gonna speak a lot to what our next steps as a church will be. And I pray it speaks to you today. Would you stand? Father God, uh, one of the greatest verses in Ephesians is the verse I read. And that's that by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift. And Father, you say in your word that though it is a gift, it's a gift we have to open with repentance and faith. We have to turn from our sin, from our selfishness, and say, God, I trust in you alone, not my good works, to get me to heaven, not my church attendance, not my giving not my kindness to others not my uh, integrity there's no one in this room that has enough integrity to get to heaven but you do you did you came and you died as a sacrifice in our place you paid our debt and so father I pray that you would help people today that have not unlocked uh, that gift they haven't opened it yet I pray they would turn from their sins ask you to forgive them and call on your name in this moment, in the quietness of their heart. I pray they would, you would lead them to make that commitment public. If not today, one day. You say that if we confess you before men, that you'll confess us before our Father in heaven. And I believe that's going to take place. That somehow the names of believers are going to be spoken in the kingdom of God before the angels of heaven. So I pray that you would let no one leave this place today without calling on your name. I pray for others that may just need to repent of sins as they, maybe they're believers, but they've just got some baggage in their hearts they need to confess to you. I pray for others that may want to join this church and be a servant and serve you even more as the day the end draws near, God. I pray that we would be found serving you, whether it's changing a diaper in the bed babies or teaching a class or, or helping weed eat. whatever it is, God, I pray that you would send people to us that we need to teach, to serve, and to bring more people to you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.